we're going to introduce every single shear with a list of questions. And the reason is as follows. When you ask a question, it creates a thirst and a void within the listener. If someone says a very deep idea, but just says it blatantly, the person who's listening won't be able to accept and receive and enjoy that idea because it's just being thrown at them. But when you first ask a question, you build a gap, you build a void, you show that there's something we don't understand. And then the idea, the answer, the principle can fill that void and it can be a lot more meaningful. So every single one of these cheerim in this series, we're going to be listing a bunch of questions at the beginning, and see, sometimes the questions will actually seemingly be disconnected and have nothing to do with each other. But you'll see throughout the shear how every single one of those questions is going to lead to deep, deep, deep ideas, and how all those ideas are going to interconnect and show all the questions we're really creating that which will enable you to enjoy the answers. So let's begin today by taking yesterday's shear a step further. Yesterday we began to discuss the importance of perception and how a person can strive for greatness. Now, when I was younger, I started to really question why we should become great. Everyone says you should be great. Everyone will end off a shear saying we should strive to be great. And it sounds really nice. It sounds great. But what's the purpose of greatness? Why should we become great? In secular philosophy, Nietzschean philosophy, greatness is just an end in itself. You should become great just for the sake of being great. Why not? But is there something more? Is there an actual deep reason why we should strive for greatness? And if it is the Ratzon Hashem, why is it the Ratzon Hashem? Why does Hashem want us to become great? The second question regards marriage. First of all, why is the relationship between Hashem and Klai Yisrael always compared to a marriage between man and wife? Chazal say how Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim was the Kedushin, the beginning of the relationship between Hashem and Klai Yisrael, and how Mat and Torah on Har Sinai was the Nesuan, how Hashem lifted up the, the mountain on top of Klai Yisrael, that was the Chuppah. So what is the meaning, Shir Hashirim, for example? Shir Hashirim is a love story between man and wife, and Chazal say how is the love story between Hashem and Klai Yisrael. What is, the, what is the meaning of this marriage between us and Hashem? But to take the question a step further, what is marriage altogether? The first example we're given of marriage is the marriage between Adam and Chava. But their relationship is a very strange relationship. The Midrash says how Adam and Chava were originally created as one, and how Hashem pulled them apart. How Hashem took Chava from within Adam, and they then became two separate beings with the job of recreating that oneness. What does this mean? What is this concept of marriage? Let's ask another question. If Hashem is really perfect, then how can He create such an imperfect world? This is actually a question which many secular philosophers and physicists and scientists all ask. They say, there can't be a God. Because if there was a perfect being, a perfect creator, how, why would he create such an imperfect world? For example, the physical world is so imperfect. There's so many natural disasters, tsunamis, hurricanes, earthquakes. And human beings also are so imperfect. Human beings can do terrible things, evil things, genocides. They can torture people. They do such... Obviously there's good, but if we're talking about an all-perfect being, we're talking about Hashem, why wouldn't He create perfect beings? Why would He create such an imperfect world? 
And once we're talking about Hashem creating the world, why did Hashem create a world where we have such a difficult time? Why do Hashem create a world where we face so many ordeals and challenges? Why life is so difficult? And everyone is facing their own challenges in life. Everyone has their own problems, has their own difficulties, their own challenges. Why do we face so many difficulties in life? Now there's also a very interesting medrash that says that originally Hashem wanted to create the world that the trees would taste like the fruit. But it didn't end up happening that way. We're not going to get into the rest of the midrash. But what does this mean to have an ideal where the trees taste like the fruit? What does it mean for the trees to taste like the fruit? Very strange. Now let's ask one last question. Chazan say in many different places that the ultimate destination of Olam Haza is Olam Haba. And the reward that you get for everything you do in this world is Olam Haba. What do we mean by Olam Haba? What do we mean by the reward that you get? What exactly is that reward? And what is Gehenim? What is the punishment, so to speak? If you're a child, you might have heard these crazy stories about Gehenim being some place of fire, but is there any truth to that? What, is, what does Gehenim mean? What is Olam Haba? What is Gehenim? So we've asked a lot of very, very fundamental questions, and let's try to build a very deep, deep understanding of all of these ideas. But in order to understand all of these questions, we need to ask one absolutely fundamental question, which is, why did Hashem create the world? What is the purpose of our world? Why are we here? Now the Ramchal discusses this in many different svarim, in Dastunos, in Derech Hashem, he mentions it briefly in the beginning of Mesil Shisharim. But before we delve into this issue, we need to make two very important comments. Number one is that whenever we talk about Hashem, we have to realize that we can never know Hashem Himself. We can only know how Hashem expresses Himself. So whenever we're going to talk about Hashem like we're going to do in this year, we're not talking about Hashem Himself, like the deeper commentaries would say, Ein Sof, that which is completely boundless and endless beyond any understanding at all. But we're going to talk about how Hashem revealed Himself, how Hashem expressed Himself. So this might seem abstract and you might not know what I'm talking about, so let me give you a very, very simple muscle so you can understand what I'm saying. You can never know a person himself. You can only know a person as he expresses himself to you. So for example, you might be very close with a lot of different people. You might have a lot of different friends. You might have a lot of different family members. But you have never, ever seen what they're actually thinking. You have never, ever actually known them themselves. You've only known that which they've revealed to you. So you only know them based on what they tell you based on how they act, based on how they express themselves like facial expressions or body language. All of those are forms of expression. But have you ever seen the neshama? Have you ever seen their thoughts? No, you can't see their thoughts. You can't see the neshama. You can only see how they express themselves. So you can't see consciousness. You can't see a mind. You can only see or understand the mind based on how they reveal themselves to you. So you know your friends based on how your friends express themselves to you. So the same thing when it comes to HaKadosh Baruch Hu is that we know HaKadosh Baruch Hu in as much as Hashem expresses Himself to us. So when we look at the world and we look at the Torah and we look at that which Hashem has given to us so that we can know Him, that is how we can talk about Hashem. So that's the most important comment that we need to make before we have this discussion. The second important comment 
is that when we talk about Hashem creating the world and why Hashem created the world, Hashem didn't have to create the world. Hashem wasn't forced to create the world. That's the major machlokas between Aristotle and the Jewish perspective, which is that Aristotle holds that there was no creation. There was an eternal universe because the world must exist by necessity. But we believe that Hashem created the world. And because we say Hashem created the world, it means there was a point where there wasn't creation. And that means that Hashem chose, through His own freedom of will, spontaneously, without having anything cause Him to choose, Hashem chose to create the world. Now we're going to ask why. What's the purpose? Once Hashem created the world, what is the purpose of our world? What's the purpose of creation? The Ramchal explains so beautifully in Dast Funos and Derech Hashem, and very, very briefly in the beginning of Nusil Shisharim, that Hashem is absolute and ultimate goodness. Hashem is the absolute good, absolute perfection. But part of being absolutely good is being good, but He also has the possibility of doing good, of giving good unto another. So Hashem chose to actualize that potentiality and to give goodness unto another. So Hashem wanted to create another, someone else, so that He can give the ultimate goodness to the other. Now what is the ultimate goodness? Hashem, Hashem Himself. Think about it. Why do you enjoy a chocolate bar? Because it tastes good. Why do you enjoy anything that you enjoy? It's because it feels good. But we're talking about the ultimate goodness. Those are just physical pleasures. But we're talking about the ultimate goodness. The ultimate, ultimate goodness is Akash Baruch Hu. So Akash Baruch Hu wants to give himself onto another. Now, just to understand what that means, we're talking about an ultimate connection, a oneness with Hashem. So just so you understand what, this connect, what connection, what oneness means, let's talk about marriage very briefly. Marriage is not just a a close friendship or a close relationship with an intimate component. It's much, much deeper. Marriage is when two people melt into a oneness. It's when two people who are completely separate and opposites and almost completely contradict each other when they can melt into an absolute oneness. And how do they do that? When they give themselves to each other completely. When they completely give themselves onto another, and they build a shared self. And they become one. That's why Adam and Chava were originally one. But they were pulled apart so they can recreate that oneness. Remember what we established in the first year, how Hashem first gives you the ideal, the the perfect ideal, but then takes the way so you can build it yourself. The first, the ideal, the first stage was Adam and Chava as one. But then they were pulled apart so they can recreate that themselves. But the goal is to go back to that first stage of oneness. It's when two beings melt into that single self. That's the ideal concept of marriage. It's two people becoming one. So when we talk about our marriage with Hashem, Klai Yisrael marrying Hashem, how Matt and Torah is our marriage with Hashem, we're talking about Klai Yisrael becoming one with Hashem completely giving ourselves over to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, completely committing ourselves to Hashem. So now we can understand a little more what it means that Hashem wanted to give Himself onto another, to give His goodness to another, so that the other could enjoy HaKadosh Baruch Hu, could enjoy Hashem. But Hashem realized that He couldn't 
give that ultimate goodness onto another, onto man for free, because if Hashem gave the ultimate goodness to another for free, he wouldn't really be able to fully enjoy it. Why? Because people don't enjoy things that they get for free as much as they enjoy things that they earn themselves. So for example, a poor person who knocks on someone's door and gets money for free, he feels embarrassed. The Gemara in Yerushalmi describes it as Nama de Kisufa, the bread of embarrassment. When you get free handouts, when you get something for free, you can't really enjoy it. So if Hashem would have created us that we just get the goodness for free, then we wouldn't be able to really enjoy it. It would be like a poor person who gets it for free. Now obviously we would still be able to enjoy it. For example, a Malach, he enjoys his connection with Hashem, but he didn't earn it. It's for free. He's just created. He sees Hashem openly. He's openly connected with Hashem. But Hashem wanted to give us the ultimate goodness, which is a connection that we earn. Therefore, Hashem created us in a world where we can earn our perfection. So Hashem created an imperfect world, a world with evil, a world full of challenges, a world where you can't see Hashem, a world where you can go your whole life and never once think that Hashem exists. A world where things just might seem coincidental, happenstance. A world full of challenges and hardships. Why? Because now you have free will. Now you can choose to see Hashem. You can choose to see, look past the surface. You can use your mind, use your intellect, and see past the surface. And that's what it means to use free will. Free will means to choose. We can choose good. We can choose to become, and we can grow and earn our greatness. So we face ordeals which push us and challenge us to grow. We live in a world full of imperfection and evil because we have to show that even though it seems like Hashem might not be here, He is. We have to choose to see Hashem. And that's the depth of what it means to earn our greatness. We choose to become great. We choose to grow. We choose to build our connection with Hashem. And in doing so, we earn our ultimate connection with Hashem, and we don't get it for a free handout. Now, there's an obvious problem with this answer. It might be beautiful, it is beautiful, but there's a big problem. We're looking at our world, and we're saying that since a poor person doesn't enjoy free handouts, it'd be much better if he gets to earn it. Therefore, the ultimate goodness is to earn your goodness. And therefore, Hashem created us that we have to earn our ultimate goodness. But what's the problem? Why couldn't Hashem just create us that we enjoy free handouts? Why can't Hashem just create us that we enjoy free handouts just as much as we earned it ourselves? I mean, think about it. We're looking at the world that already exists and saying that, oh, it must be that getting free handouts isn't as good as earning it yourself. Who says? Why can't Hashem create a world where it's even better? Where we enjoy getting things for free just as much as if we earned it? You hear the question? The question is a deep question. So what's the answer? The answer is that that wouldn't be a real connection. Let me give you an example. If you married a rock, would that be a good relationship? No! Because we're talking about connection. Remember, marriage is where two melt into a oneness, where they are connected to each other where there's a deep, deep, deep connection, a deep oneness. 
So you can't marry Iraq. You're completely opposite from Iraq. There would be no meaning to that relationship. But imagine Hashem gave us our goodness for free. Imagine Hashem gave us that reward, that, that goodness and connection with Hashem for free. We would be opposites with Hashem. Hashem would be the giver. We would be the taker, the receiver. Hashem would have complete free will. We would have no free will. We'd just be a sponge. Hashem would be the creator. We would be created. No one gave Hashem his perfection, but we would have gotten our perfection as a gift. So we would be almost opposite from Hashem. So would we be able to enjoy Hashem's goodness? Of course. But would we be one with Hashem? Would we really be connected with Hashem? You have to be like the other in order for there to be real connection. There has to be something that creates that, that fusion. And in order for that fusion to take place, we have to be like Hashem. So what did Hashem do? Hashem created us in a way that we can become godly. We can become like Hashem. So Hashem is perfect, but we can become perfect. Hashem is good, but we can choose to become good. So Hashem created us in an imperfect world. We are born imperfect, and we now go through a journey in life where we can become, where we can build intellect, where we can build wisdom, where we can become kind, where we can assert self-control and build self-control, where we can become great. Hashem is, but we get to become. And when we become, we become godly and we build the ultimate connection with Hashem. So we live in a world of movement, a world of time, a world of process. And we are supposed to use that time and process to become, to become godly. So that we can earn our ultimate perfection. And become like Hashem and enjoy our connection with Hashem. But we get to build it ourselves. Why? Because the only way we can really enjoy it is if we're like Hashem. So now, we become the creators of our own perfection. No one gave Hashem His perfection. No one gives us our perfection as a gift. We create it ourselves. Hashem is a giver. We're also givers. We give ourselves to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We commit ourselves to Hashem. Hashem has complete free will. We have free will. We get to choose good over evil. We get to choose to become perfect. Hashem is a creator. He created the world. He created everything. But we become creators. We create ourselves. And we also join Hashem in a partnership in creating and perfecting the world. So the main idea is that Hashem creates to give us the ultimate goodness. The ultimate goodness is a connection with Hashem, a relationship, a oneness with Hashem. But the ultimate oneness with Hashem is a oneness where we become like Hashem, and we can become like Hashem by earning our perfection, earning our goodness. So we are in this world with a mission to use our free will to choose to become and to grow. We live in a world full of challenges and ordeals because that is what enables us to grow. The greatest people in the world are the people who use their challenges who embrace their challenges and realize that it's only because of their challenges that they've become the people they've become. That the challenges you face in life are the gifts you've been given in life. Because those challenges, those ordeals, are what push you to become great. This requires a whole topic in itself, but I'll just give you a very, very brief example. There's a person who is trying as hard as he could to jump over a fence. So he started out with a four-foot fence and was able to make it over. The next day he tried a five-foot fence, he was able to make it over. The next day he tried to do a six-foot fence, and he couldn't make it. He couldn't make it. So he tried, he tried, he tried, he tried, he couldn't make it. He gave up. At the end of the day, he was about to go home. He tried the whole day, he just couldn't do it. 
And as he was about to walk away, a bull started charging at him. So before he even thought twice, he jumped right over the fence. What happened? The whole time he could have jumped over the fence. But the bull, that external force, is what pushed him to realize and maximize and actualize his potential. So in life, our job is to grow and push and become. But the ordeals we face in life are the gifts that Kaddish Baruch Hu gives us which push us to grow, which push us to become, which help us manifest our potential. That's why the Ramban explains that the Nisiyonos Avraham faced wasn't for Hashem to know whether or not Avraham loved Hashem or whether or not Avraham was faithful to Hashem. It was so Avraham himself could maximize and actualize his potential. The Nisiyonos were there to help him. That's why Nisayon... The root of Nisiyon is nais. Nais means a banner, a flag. Because you are stating, you are expressing, you are showing. A banner, a flag represents something. You are manifesting that which you could do. You are showing your potential, actualizing your potential. And now we can understand the idea of Olam Haba. The simple understanding of Olam Haba is that when you die, you get some sort of reward. Like Hashem gives you something. But the Ramban, as well as Nefshachayim and the Ramchal, all explain Olam Haba is not something external. It's not a reward you get. The reward you receive is you. It's the person you became. You spend your entire life building and growing. Olam Haba is the consciousness, it's the mind you've built. It's the connection and relationship with Hashem you've built. What have you built? What knowledge, what understanding, what wisdom have you built? So the Ramchal explains there are two components of Olam Haba. One is the mitzvahs you've built. You get to enjoy the mitzvahs you've built. Number two is the mind, the consciousness you've built. Before we move forward, though, we need to just clarify what we mean when we say Olam Haba. There are many different things which Olam Haba could refer to. So, for example, there's a Zman Mashiach. There's a Zman of Tchiyas HaMesim. And there's the ultimate Zman of Olam Haba, which, you know, for the entire world will be in its perfected state. But what we're going to talk about now is the Olam HaNashamos. It's what happens when you die. The Ramban explains you go to Olam HaNashamos when you die. Now, what happens when you die? You simply leave your body. And the mind, the, the person that you created, the consciousness that you created, leaves your body. And you exist as the person that you became. But exactly as the person that you became. So remember we talked about in the first year, the previous year, how in the womb you learn Kol Tarakula. You are everything you're meant to be. And then you're brought into this world with the purpose of recreating that awareness, recreating that connection with Hashem, recreating that perfection. As the Vilna going to explain, you're going to see that same Malach when you die. And the Malach is going to say, did you earn it yourself? Did you build it yourself? Well, in Olam Haba, you are the person that you created. You are the being that you created. But you are exactly who you created. The moment you die, you leave your body and you are exactly who you are. You can no longer grow. The concept of growth is only in this world. It's a world of free will where you choose good over evil. But once you die, there's no longer free will. There's no longer choice. Everything's obvious. You live in a world of truth. So the only place where you can become and grow is in this world. A beautiful marshal to explain this would be a pottery class. So if you're in a pottery class, you get, let's say, an hour to mold the piece of clay. But after the hour, they put the piece of clay into the oven. So the mature person spends the entire hour and perfects the piece of clay and constructs what he wants to construct. The immature person 
he spends nine, 59 minutes playing around, and when the last minute comes, he realizes that it's almost time to go. He quickly tries to make something out of it, but obviously he doesn't really have enough time. So in life, you have time. Your life is where you get to, so to speak, play with that clay. It's where you get to mold yourself, build yourself, build your mind, build your connection with Hashem, build your mitzvahs, learn Torah, build great relationships, work on your midos. It's a place of growth. But once you die, you stop. And that's the deep explanation of the Mishnah and Avos in Perak Dalad, the 22nd Mishnah, Chav It says that one moment of tshuva and ma'isim tovim in this world is greater than all of Olam, all of Olam Haba. But then the Mishnah goes on to say that one moment of Olam Haba is greater than all of this world. So which is it? Is it that Olam Haba is infinite, infinite ecstasy and that you can't compare a single moment of Olam Haba to this world? Or is it that a moment of Gmilas Chasadim and Tshuva is greater than all of Olam Haba? Which is it? So the Rambam explains beautifully that one moment of this world is greater than all of Olam Haba because you can only grow in this world. You can't grow in Olam Haba. But one moment of Olam Haba is greater than all the enjoyment in this world because Olam Haba is infinite. It's, you can't even compare a physical pleasure. You taste something delicious. You have a physical pleasure, an emotional pleasure, intellectual pleasure. You can't compare it to Olam Haba. Rev Dessler explains that if you took all the enjoyment of your entire life, then you took all the enjoyment of everyone you know. Then you took all the enjoyment of everyone in your state. Then you took all the enjoyment of everyone in your country. Then you took all the enjoyment of everyone in the world. Then you took all the enjoyment of everyone who's ever lived in the world. And you combined it into a single moment. That wouldn't even compare to a single moment in Olam Haba. So we're talking about absolute ecstasy. But it's only based on what you built in this world but nothing more. So the joy of Olam Haba is everything you built. But the pain is that you don't get anything more. The joy is experiencing everything you earned and constructed in this world. But the pain is to see what you could have accomplished. The problem is, and the real challenge, is that we think we're going to live forever. We've never experienced death, so we don't think of it as a reality. Once in a while, there are some moments throughout the year where we have these wake-up calls. But besides for that, we don't really confront the fact that we're going to die. We think we're going to live forever. If you look at your history and your past, have you ever experienced death? So, in your mind, is death a reality? What you might not realize is that not only is your physical body going to die, not only are you dying, but time is dying. Time is dying. Every moment of your life is passing away. The present is constantly fading into the past. The past is gone. The future isn't here. And the present is constantly fading. Time is dying. So where are you? What are you? You are what you extract from every moment. Think about it. Your memories, your memories are everything that you've accomplished in your past. They're what you've brought out from the present. The present is fading away, that's granted. Time is dying. But you can ride the waves of time. You can ride the waves of time extracting everything you can from every moment you can. There shouldn't be a day in your life that you go to sleep and you haven't built something that day. You haven't grown in some way. Every day is an amazing, amazing day full of potential. 24 hours of infinite potential. 
So we have to ask ourselves, we have to ask ourselves, what are we building? What is our destination? What are we trying to become? Who are we? And we have to have a destination. We have to have a goal. We have to know where we're going. If you don't have a goal, you're, you're just walking aimlessly through the world. There are people who don't have goals in life and they are literally walking through the world aimlessly. Imagine you're on a train and you're sitting next to someone. You ask him, oh, where are you going? And he says, oh, I don't know. I'm just uh, riding a train. Who ri- you don't ride a train going nowhere. Imagine there's someone in a car and he doesn't have a destination. He's just driving aimlessly. He has no idea where to go. It's not that he's lost. He doesn't even know where he wants to go. So there are people in life who have no goals. How can that be? If you have a business, you have goals for your business. Every week or every month, you check up to make sure that you're achieving your goals. If you're not achieving your goals, you recalibrate, you redirect. If you're an athlete, then you exercise, you have goals, you have things that you want to accomplish, and you constantly make sure you're, on, you're making progress and you are on track. So in life, what are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish? Are you heading on track? In your family, what's the goal for your family? In your marriage, what's the goal for your marriage? Goals create an extraordinary journey. Goals, destinations create a process towards that destination. A goal towards greatness, a goal of greatness creates a journey towards greatness. Uh, Without having a goal for greatness, you can't have a journey towards greatness. But we can take this a step further. You also have to keep in mind the big picture. Don't get lost in the details of life. So, I'll give you a mushal. Imagine you have a truck driver. And the owner of the factory goes over to the truck driver and says, Listen, I want you to drive across state and drop off these goods. But, I want you to be very, very careful. I want you to keep all the laws of the road. I want you to check the oil, check the engine, check the tires. Don't get any speeding tickets. Don't do anything wrong. Don't get any parking tickets. And when you come back, make sure you tell me that you did a perfect job. So three days later, the truck driver comes back and he has a big smile on his face. And he goes over to the boss and the boss says, so tell me, how'd it go? And the truck driver with a big smile says, boss, I did it. I didn't get any parking tickets. I didn't get any speeding tickets. I checked the engine. I checked the oil. I checked the tires. Perfect. So the boss says, did you deliver the packages? And suddenly the truck driver's smile disappears. And he says, oh, I forgot. Because sometimes you can get so caught up into the small things and the details that you forget why you're actually doing it, why you're actually here. Now, halakha is absolutely fundamental, it is essential, it is the root. But you have to also know why. You have to also have a deeper perspective on life. You have to build the why. So when you have a why, the what becomes so much more meaningful and powerful. So nasa v'nishma, we do it even if we don't understand. But then we try to do the nishma, then we try to delve into it and understand our much deeper perspective. But the ideal, the ideal is to enjoy the process of growth. It's to enjoy the journey of life. That's what the Midrash means when it says that the ideal is for the trees to taste like the fruit. The trees represent process. Trees create the fruit. The fruit is the destination, the goal. The fruit is the product. Now, in this world, the fruit is sweet. The destination, once you get there, you arrive. That's sweet. But the process, that doesn't taste like the fruit. But the ideal is for the process to taste like the fruit. Why? Because when you know that the process is creating your perfection, when you know that you are building 
your ultimate reality, then the process itself becomes infinitely more meaningful. When you have a meaning, a why in your life, the what, the process, the difficult process of growth and choosing and the grueling process of life becomes so much more enjoyable. Learning a sugya, when you know that you're doing something that's inherently valuable, you're learning Torah, the process itself becomes enjoyable. Breaking your teeth over a Gemara. Trying to understand Rashi and Tosos, trying to delve into the Rambam and understand the depth through which he perceived the sugya. Trying to understand how the Rambam differed from the Rif and how the Ramban gave it the... That's the, the, the enjoyment comes from the process itself. The getting to the ultimate destination is also enjoyable. But when you can learn to enjoy the process, life takes on a whole new meaning. So for example... When you're listening to a song, you don't want to get to the end of the song. You're enjoying the song itself. If your life becomes like a song, the process becomes part of the journey. You realize that the only way you can get to your destination is through the process. You can enjoy the process. So I'll give you a mashal. Imagine you have a person who is climbing a mountain. And a person in a helicopter flies by and sees this man climbing up the mountain and says, Hey, how you doing? So the man looks and says, hi, how you doing? So the person in the helicopter says, how long have you been climbing this mountain? So the man responds, I've been climbing for about two weeks. And the guy says, how long do you have left to go? The guy says, I have about another two weeks. So the guy in the helicopter says, why don't you just climb onto my helicopter? I'll, I'll fly you to the top. The guy smiles back at him and says, no, you don't understand. I don't want to be on top of the mountain. I want to climb to the top. And that's the deep idea of earning your greatness, of building it, of constructing it. The process itself is what creates the ultimate enjoyment. When you get to Olam Haba, the reason you're going to enjoy it so much is because you built it. It's an expression of you. It's what you constructed. Now let's try to understand Gehenim. Gehenim isn't being burnt in fire, but there's a certain depth to that, and we'll try to explain why. Gehenim is experiencing everything you could have been but aren't. Some of the Farshim explain that in Gehenim you're going to see someone who looks very familiar. As a matter of fact, it looks like you. But it's not you. It's everything you could have been. It's everything you should have been, but everything you aren't. It's when that Malch comes to you and says, we learned it in the womb, we learned everything, where is it? And you say, I didn't do it. I didn't accomplish it. And then you experience everything you could have been. And you're forced to sit there and watch and see what you didn't accomplish. The Ramban, as well as the Sefer Yikarim, as well as the Nefes Chaim, explain that an element of Gehenim is experiencing everything you just didn't do in this world, all the things you destroyed in this world, the lie that you lived in this world. If you live the MS, then when you get to Om Habit, you experience the joy of accomplishing everything you were meant to accomplish. The pain of Gehenim is that same experience, but as opposed to enjoying what you built, it's the pain of what you now didn't build. That's why schar mitzvah mitzvah, the enjoyment of a mitzvah is a mitzvah, because you enjoy what you built, but schar avera avera, as the Mishnah Avos, Perak Dal, Mishnah Bey, says, schar avera avera. The Nefesh Chaim, as well as many others, explain what, what does that mean, schar avera avera. You're going to experience the averos. When you do an avera, you don't experience it in this world. The pain in Gehenim is experiencing the lie that you didn't live the life you were meant to live. You didn't live up to the truth. But it's not 
that you're just getting punished. It's you're getting the experience of exactly what you built or didn't build. So for example, if a person comes into a doctor and he's been drinking for years or he's been smoking for years and he comes to the doctor and he says, I'm sorry, doc, I apologize. The doctor will say, I know you're sorry, but you did this to yourself. You're just going to experience the very pain and destruction that you created. So Gehenim is just experiencing the pain and destruction of what you created, the Averis that you did. As the Ramchal explains, you get to enjoy your mitzvos, but you also get to experience the pain of your Averos. But it's exactly what you build. And Afshachayim compares it to eating disgusting food. If you eat unhealthy food, the pain and the punishment is the fact that you ate that unhealthy food. It now becomes part of you, and you experience the destruction that you created. It's not something external. You don't get punished because you ate unhealthy food. The punishment is the very fact that you ate unhealthy food. So Averos are like eating unhealthy spiritual food. You're destroying yourself. And therefore, Gehenim is the experience of destruction you've caused. But the deepest element of Olam HaEmes, of Olam Abba, of Olam HaNeshamos, is it's an Olam HaEmes. Meaning, there's complete transparency. In this world, you can put on a show. I like to say that there are actors in Hollywood, but the whole world is full of actors. Because everyone puts on a show. People act completely differently when they're alone in their own room than when they're out in public. Because when you're out in public, you want people to see you in a certain way. You want people to respect you. You want to have a certain reputation. You want people to like you. You want to feel like you belong. So you act in a certain way. And you say things that you might not mean. And you wear things that you shouldn't wear. And you do things that you shouldn't do. Because you're not interested in being you. You're interested in being what people want you to be. And you might lie, you might speak Lashon Hara, but you can put on a show and a facade in this world and be someone you're not in this world. But in the next world, there are no walls. You can't pretend to be someone you're not. Everyone sees you for exactly who you are. And here's the deep idea. You're going to experience everything you should have been and everything you are. You're going to see who you really are and what you could have become, but everyone will see who you are and who you could have become. Because everything will be crystal clear. There will be no barriers, no walls. There will be no illusion. There will be no facade. You can't be an actor at Olam Ha'emes. You experience yourself exactly who you are. You see the world exactly as it is. You see the truth exactly as it is. And everyone sees you for exactly who you are. But this is not meant to be depressing. This is meant to be inspiring so you understand what we're trying to do. We're trying to create ourselves. We're in this world to become, to grow, to become perfect, to choose good, to become godly. And now we can understand all of our questions. What's the purpose of greatness? Greatness is not for the sake of greatness. We are here to become great because we're here to become godly. That was why Hashem created the world, so we can earn our perfection, so we can build our connection with Hashem. Marriage, marriage is where two melt into oneness, where we can melt into the oneness with the Kaddish Baruch Hu, where we can connect ourselves to Hashem through Torah, through mitzvos, through growth, through developing ourselves. The reason why Hashem created such an imperfect world is not because Hashem is imperfect, it's quite the contrary. It's because Hashem gave us the opportunity to create the same perfection that He has. To build our perfection. The reason why life is so difficult, why life is full of ordeals and challenges, 
is because that is Hashem's gift to us for how we build our perfection. And that's also part of free will, that we can't see Hashem openly. That we have to choose to see Hashem. It's not clear, it's not obvious. Malachim, they live in a world of MS, everything is crystal clear. For example, the Nefesh Haim explains that for a Malach to do an Avera, it would be like walking into a fire. Where, do you have free will to walk into a fire? Of course you have free will to walk into a fire, but would you do it? No! Because you see exactly how dangerous and ridiculous it would be to walk into a fire. So Malachim see Averis that way. Imagine you saw an Avera that way. Imagine what you're about to speak Lashon Hara. Chas Shalom, I know you would never do this. But imagine you're about to do something wrong and you actually feel that if you're about to violate Zavira, it would be the same thing as walking into a fire. So we don't live in that world. You live in a world where it's not that clear. You have to build your intellect. You have to build your mind. You have to build that insight so you can see things clearly. Ulam Haba is the experience of everything we built. The brilliance, the joy of Ulam Haba is the fact that you built it. But the pain, and the pain of Ganem is what you don't build. It's the lie you live. And the goal of life is to live a life of truth. Don't live that lie. Live your best self. Live your greatest self. Become more. Love wisdom. Love wisdom. Learn more. Become kinder. Become more passionate. Become more empathetic. Develop yourself. Develop your relationships. Assert self-control. Don't let your body and your, your physical urges and your emotions control your life. Control your urges. Control your emotions. Take control of your life and live a life of growth. Live a life of wisdom. Live a life of becoming. And Be'ezer Hashem, we will continue this journey in this Mahshava series of developing these deeper, deeper ideas and these deeper ways of perceiving the world.